Welcome to Commentaries on the Book of the Prophet Jeremiah and the Lamentations by John Calvin, Volume 1. We are continuing to read at page 65 today for this reading. Lecture 4. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more at great discounts, are on the web at www. .swrb.com. Also, please consider, pray, and act upon the important truths found in the following quotation by Charles Spurgeon. As the Apostle says to Timothy, so also he says to everyone, Give yourself to reading. He who will not use the thoughts of other men's brains proves that he has no brains of his own. You need to read. Renounce as much as you will all light literature, but study as much as possible sound theological works especially the Puritanic writers and expositions of the Bible. The best way for you to spend your leisure is to be either reading or praying. And now to SWRB's reading of Commentaries on the Book of the Prophet Jeremiah and the Lamentations by John Calvin, Volume 1, which we hope you find to be a great blessing, and which we pray draws you near to the Lord Jesus Christ, for He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by Him. John 14.6 Lecture 4 For behold, I have made thee this day a defensed city and an iron pillar and brazen walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against the princes thereof, against the priests thereof, and against the people of the land. Verse 18 God supplies here his servant with confidence, for courage was necessary in that state of trembling which we have observed. Jeremiah thought himself unfit to undertake a work so onerous. He had also to do and to contend with refractory men, and not a few in number, for the whole people had already, through their ungodly and wicked obstinacy, hardened themselves in the contempt of God. As then, there was no more any care for religion, and no regard manifested by the people for heavenly truth. Jeremiah could not, diffident as he was, undertake so heavy a burden without being supported by the hand of God. For this reason, then, God now declares that he would make him like a fortified city and an iron pillar. Footnote. We find here nearly the same form of mode of speech as at the beginning of the previous verse, And I, behold, I have made thee non-English word, and Blaney renders it so here, though not in the preceding instance. Editor. There is the preposition non-English word before city, pillar, and wall. It is an idiom. The full meaning is, I have made thee to be for a fortified city. The same idiom exists in Welsh. The proposition YN is used, which implies that the verb to be is understood but it is not necessary to retain the preposition in a language in which a similar idiom does not exist. The Septuagint render the preposition by non-English word as, and June and trem as volute as, or like. And such a word would be suitable in our language. And I behold, I have made thee this day like a city that is fortified, and like a pillar of iron, and like a wall of brass, with regard to the whole land, to the kings of Judah, to its princes, to its priests, 
and to the people of the land. To, here, means in opposition to. He was to stand opposed to the kings, as a fortified city. Wall is plural in the received text, but many, such as the Septuagint, the Syriac, and the Targum, and the Vulgate, have it in the singular number, which seems most suitable. Indeed, the word prop would be more proper, for non-English word omud comes from the root omed, and the prophet understands by it, not a pillar that is raised and stands by itself, but that which sustains a building or a wall. There is no ambiguity in the meaning, for God means that his servant would be invincible, and that whatever his enemies might devise against him, they would not yet prevail, as we find it said in the next verse. Now, though this was said formally to Jeremiah, yet godly teachers may justly apply it to themselves who are honestly conscious of their divine call and are fully persuaded that they do nothing presumptuously but obey the bidding of God. All then who are thus confirmed in their legitimate call from God can apply to themselves this promise that they shall be made invincible against all the ungodly. But the, <clears throat> but the particulars of this passage deserve to be noticed. It might have seemed enough that God called his servant a fortified city, but he compares him also to an iron pillar or column and to a brazen wall. This repetition only confirms what we have explained, that Jeremiah would be victorious and that though Satan might rouse many to assail him, yet the issue would be prosperous and joyful as he would fight under the protection of God. It is at the same time added over the whole land. God doubtless speaks not of the whole world, but of the land of Judah, for Jeremiah was chosen for this purpose, that he might bestow his labor on the chosen people. It is then said that he would be a conqueror of the whole of Judea. It then follows against the kings of Judah. We know indeed that there was only one king in Judea, but God enough but God encourages his prophet to be firm and persevering as though he had said that the course of his warfare would be long, and he said this that he might not faint through through weariness. The meaning then is that the prophet would not have to contend with one king only, but that as soon as one died, another would rise and oppose him so that he was to know that there would be no hope of rest until that time had passed which God himself had appointed. We indeed know that those who are sincerely disposed to obey do yet look for some definite period when, like soldiers who have served their time, they may obtain a discharge. But God declares here to his prophet that when he had strenuously contended to the death of one king, his condition would be nothing better for others would succeed with whom he would have to fight, as the same wickedness and obstinacy would still be continued. To kings he adds princes and priests, and lastly, the whole people. When a king forgets his office and rules tyrannically, it often happens that there are moderators who check his, his passions when they cannot wholly restrain them. We indeed see that the most cruel tyrants are sometimes softened by good counselors. But God here reminds his prophet that the state of things in Judea would be so desperate that ungodly and wicked kings would have counselors endued with the same disposition.
when priests are added, it might seem still more monstrous, but the scripture everywhere testifies that the Levitical priests had almost all degenerated and become apostates, so that hardly one in a hundred showed the least sign of religion. Since then, that order had become thus corrupt, it is no wonder that Jeremiah had to declare war against the priests, and we shall hereafter see that this was done. Now the common people might have seemed to be excusable, as there, there was greater simplicity among them than among the higher orders. For they who are elevated above others transgress through pride or cruelty, and often allow themselves too much liberty, relying on their own eminence. But the common people, as I have said, seemed apparently to have more modesty. But God here declares that impiety had so greatly prevailed in Judea that all, from the least to the greatest, were becoming were become perversely wicked, wicked. It was therefore necessary, as I have before stated, that the prophet should be fully armed. For what could he have thought, had he not in time been warned, on finding afterwards such insolence, yea, such fury in high and low, as to constrain him to contend with God's chosen people, no otherwise than with devils. It afterwards follows, verse 19, And they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee, for I am with thee, saith the Lord, to deliver thee. God in this verse pre briefly reminds his servant that though he would be supplied with invincible power, yet he would have great trials so that his office would not be, according to a common saying, a mere play. He then shows for what purpose he would be made like a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a brazen wall, even that he might manfully fight, and not for the purpose of keeping away all dangers and all fightings and everything hard and grievous to the flesh. We, in short, see that the promise was given for this end, that Jeremiah, relying on God's aid, might not hesitate to set himself against all the Jews, and that whatever might be their fury, he might still be courageous. Now a profitable doctrine may be hence gathered, even this, that whenever God promises his servants victory over their enemies, they ought not to make this the occasion of fostering their torpidity or idleness, but on the contrary of gathering courage so that they may proceed boldly and unweariedly in the course of their vocation. In short, God promises to be their deliverer, but at the same time exhorts them to resist all the assaults of their enemies. Hence, he says, They shall fight with thee, but they shall not prevail, for I am with thee to deliver thee. Footnote. Moreover, um, I oh, it ought to be, for with thee will I be to deliver thee. For the verb to be being understood, it must be put in the same tense with the other verbs in the passage, and such is the rendering of Blaney, editor. End footnote. From these words we see that Jeremiah was fully armed, that he might not, might not fear on seeing dangers surrounding him. For God does not here declare that he would be like a wall to him to prevent him from being assaulted, but he says that he would deliver him, as though he had said, Prepare thyself to suffer, for except I were thy deliverer, it would be all over with thee, and thou mightest perish a hundred times. But there is no reason for thee to fear any dangers amidst thousand deaths, 
since I am present with thee as thy deliverer. Now follows chapter 2, verse 1. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown. God now mentions to his servant the commands which he was to convey to the king and the priests, and to the whole people. For by the ears of Jerusalem he means all its inhabitants. God here intimates that the Jews were unworthy of being cared for by him any more, but that he is induced by another reason not to reject them wholly until he had found out by experience that their irreclaimable wickedness. So then he makes this preface, I remember thee for the kindness of thy youth and the love of thy espousals. In these words he shows that he regarded not what the Jews deserved, nor acknowledged any worthiness in them, as the reason why he was solicitous for the salvation and endeavored to bring them to the right way by the labors of his prophet, but that this is to be ascribed to his former benefits. Some render the words, I remember the piety or kindness of thy youth, and lack must be thus taken, as it is in other places. Others omit this word, while others consider a copulative to be understood. I remember thee and the kindness of thy youth, but none, as I think, have attained to the meaning of the prophet. There is yet no obscurity in the words. If a preposition be considered as being understood, so as to read thus, that God remembered his people for the kindness which he had shown to them, and for the love which he had manifested towards them from the beginning. Then the real meaning of the prophet, I think, to be this, that God here takes away every ground for pride and boasting from the Jews, as though he had said that they were worthy, they, they had no reason to think, but that he was still their father and was therefore unwilling that the benefits he had formerly conferred upon them should be wholly lost. There is, in short, given here a reason why God sent Jeremiah after the prophets, as though he had said, It is a testimony to you of the paternal care which I show to you. When I sent my prophet when I sent my prophet to give you a hope of pardon, if you return to the right way and be reconciled to me. But how is it that I will show a concern for you as ye have forgotten me and wholly disregarded my law? It is so because I wish to continue my favors to you. The kindness of thy youth he takes in a passive sense, for he does not mean that the Jews were kind or merciful, but that they had experienced the kindness of God. But the metaphor here used must be noticed. God compares himself to a young bridegroom who marries a youthful bride in the flower of her age and in the prime of her beauty, and it is a manner of speaking commonly adopted by the prophets. I will not now detain you with a long explanation, as the subject will be treated more at large in another place. As God then had espoused the people of Israel, when he redeemed and brought them out of Egypt, he says now that he remembers the people on account of that kindness and love. He sets kindness or beneficence before love. The word chesad properly means a gratuitous favor or kindness, which is shown to the miserable or beneficence. 
By the word love, God means in many other places the gratuitous election with which he has favored the whole people. The expression is indeed made clearer when kindness or gratuitous favor is placed first, and then love is added. Though nothing new is added, yet the prophet more fully shows that the people had been loved by God in no other way than through his kindness. Footnote. Though most of modern commentators, Grotius, Gattaker, Blaney, Scott, Adam Clark, etc., give the same view of this verse with Calvin, yet the probability is, and something more than the probability, that the sense in which it was taken by the ancients is the correct one, which is the sense given in our version and adopted by Henry. A literal rendering of the verse is sufficient to show its meaning. Verse 2. Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith Jehovah, I remember with regard to thee the kindness of thy youth, the love of thy espousals, thy coming after me in the desert through a land not sown. Thy coming, or walking after me, stands in the same relation to remember as the two preceding words. This is plainly the construction, and this construction determines the meaning of the foregoing lines. Our version is quite wrong in rendering non-English word be. It ought ever to be rendered as above when the verb as here is followed by an accusative case. What has led commentators, no doubt, to divert this passage from its right meaning was their impression that more is here ascribed to Israel than their history warrants. But this is not the only instance in which their former conduct is contrasted with their latter conduct. This is done in Malachi 2.5 as to the priests. The object here is, is to set forth the difference between the people when brought out of Egypt and following God's guidance in the wilderness and their conduct at the time of Jeremiah. They were indeed very far from being what they ought to have been in the first instance, but their deportment in Jeremiah's age was incomparably worse. End footnote. Now this is a remarkable passage, for God shows that his covenant, through perfidiously though perfidiously violated by the Jews, was yet firm and immutable. For though not all who derive their descent according to the flesh from Adam are true and legitimate Israelites, yet God ever remains true, and his calling, as Paul says, is without repentance. Romans 11.29 We may therefore learn this from the prophet's words that God was not content with one prophet but continued his favor inasmuch as he would not render void, void his covenant. The Jews indeed had impiously departed from the covenant and a vast number had deservedly perished having been wholly repudiated. Yet God designed really to show that his grace depends not on the inconsistency of men I'm sorry, the inconstancy of men as Paul says in another place, for it would then presently fail, Romans 3, 4. And that were all men false and perfidious, God would yet remain true and fixed in his purpose. This we learn from the prophet's words when it is said that God remembered the people on account of the kindness of their youth. As to youth and espousals, we may hence learn that they have been anticipated by God's kindness, for they became in no other way connected with God than by having been chosen by him. Their espousal would not have been enjoyed by the people had not God anticipated them. What was Abraham? 
and what were all his posterity. God then now shows that the beginning of all blessings, and as it were the fountain, was this, that it pleased him to choose the people for himself. And the same thing is confirmed in other words. When, he says, thou didst follow me, follow me in the desert, in a land not sown. The people we know did not obey God as they ought to have done, even when, we, he, when he had redeemed them. Hence God does not so much in this place commend the people for any merits of their own, but especially confirms what I have already stated, that he could not cast aside every care for a people whom he had once adopted and whom he had led through the desert, that they might be a people separated from the rest of the world. He, however, concedes to them, according to his great goodness, the praise of obedience, because they followed God through rough ways, as though a tender young woman refused not to undergo hard and irksome toils from love to her bridegroom. He afterwards adds, verse 3, Israel was holiness unto the Lord, and the first fruits of his increase. All that devour him shall offend. Evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. God here more clearly reprobates the ingratitude of the people, and first he enumerates his favors by which he had bound the people forever to himself, and secondly, he shows how malignantly the people responded to the many blessings which they had received. In saying, then, that Israel was holy, he intends it not by way of honor. It was indeed in itself an illustrious testimony to their praise, that God had consecrated that people to himself, that he designed them to be the first fruits of his increase. But we must remember that there is that there is here an implied contrast between this great and incomparable favor of God and the wickedness of the people, who afterwards fell away from that God who had been so liberal and gracious to them. According to this view, then, does, Jer- does Jeremiah say, that Israel was holiness to God, that is, that they were separated from all other nations, so that the glory of God shone only among them. He then adds that they were the first fruits of his produce, for though whatever produce the earth may bring forth ought to be consecrated by God, by whose power it grows, yet he, we know that the first fruits were gathered and set on the altar as a sacred food. As then God had commanded under the law the first fruits to be offered to him and then given to the priests, he says here in accordance with that rite that Israel were the first fruits of his produce. For the nations who then everywhere dwelt were not removed from under God's government as he is the creator of all and shows himself to all as the father and supporter. But he passed by other nations and chose the race of Abraham and for this end that he might protect them by his power and aid. Since then God has so bound the nation to himself, how great and how strong was the obligation under which that people was to him. Hence the more base and the more detestable was their perfidy when the people despised the singular favors which God had conferred on them. We now see why the prophet says that Israel was holy to God and the first fruits of his increase. He also intimates that the time would come when God would go gather himself to other nations, gather to himself other nations. For in the first fruits, the people dedicated and offered to God the whole produce of the years included. 
So then Israel was like the first fruits, because God afterwards took to himself other nations, which for many ages were deemed profane. But yet his special object was to show that the guilt of the people was extreme, as they did not acknowledge the great favors which God had bestowed on them. He then adds, Whosoever will devour him shall be punished. Of this meaning I approve, because the explanation immediately follows, evil shall come on them. God then means not that they should be only guilty of a crime, who should devour the first fruits, but refers rather to a punishment, as though he had said, The profane shall not be unpunished, who shall devour the first fruits which has been dedicated to me. For if any had stolen the first fruits, God would have executed a vengeance, such as sacrilege deserved. If, however, anyone prefers the other explanation, that it would be a crime to injure Israel or to, to do him any harm because he was under God's protection, I shall not oppose him. But the wording of the sentence leads me to the other view, that is, that those who would injure Israel would not only be guilty, but would not be able to escape God's vengeance. And why? Because evil will come upon them, saith Jehovah. Footnote. Blaney considers this verse as referring to Israel in ancient times and as spoken by God. Hence he renders the last words, said Jehovah. The first part seems to declare what Israel was, and the other appears to be the language of God's respecting them. Holy was Israel to Jehovah, the first fruits of his produce. All his devourers shall be deemed guilty. Evil shall come to them, said Jehovah. The verb non-English word is rendered non-English word shall offend by the Septuagint, as in, as in our version, and by Grotius trespass, by Gadiker, am guilty of a trespass by Blaney. The, the contraction of guilt is what is meant as this punishment is announced in the next words. End footnote. He afterwards explains more clearly the import of his doctrine. Verse 4. Hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, What iniquity have your fathers found in me, that they are gone far from me, and have walked after vanity, and are become vain? Here God explains why he had referred to what, he, what we have noticed, that he had consecrated Israel to himself as a peculiar people, and as the first fruits. God often mentions his favors to us in order to encourage our hope that we may be fully persuaded that whatever may happen, we are ever safe, because we are under his protection, since he has chosen us. But in this place, and in many other places, God recounts the obligations under which the Israelites were to him, that thence their ingratitude might become more apparent. Hence he says, Hear ye the word of Jehovah. By this preface he seeks to gain attention, for he intimates that he was going to address them on no common subject. Hear ye then, O house of Jacob, hear all ye families of the house of Israel. As though Jeremiah had said, Here I come forth boldly in the name of God, for I fear not that any defense can be brought forward by you to disprove the justice of God's reproof. And I confidently wait for what ye may say, for I know you will be silent. 
I then loudly cry like a trumpet and with a clear voice that I am come to condemn you. If there is anything which you can answer, I give you full liberty to do so. But the truth will constrain you to be mute, for your guilt is extremely odious and capable of the fullest proof. Hence it was that he exhorted them to hear attentively. Then follows the charge. What iniquity have your fathers found in me, that having forsaken me, they should walk after vanity and become vain? Here Jeremiah charges the people with two crimes, that they had departed from the true God, whom they had found to be a deliverer, and that they had become vain in their devices, or in other words, that they were become for no reason apostates, for their sin was enhanced, because there had been no occasion given them to forsake God and to alienate themselves from him. As then God had kindly treated them, and they themselves had shaken off the yoke, and as there was no one whom they could compare with God, they could not have said, We have been deceived. How so? For ye have, he says, followed vanity, and vanity alone was the reason why ye have departed from me. Footnote. The literal rendering of this verse is as follows. Thus saith Jehovah, What have your fathers found in me? Oppression? For have they, for they have gone far from me, and have followed after vanity, and have become vain. The word, non-English word, oppression, justice, or tyranny, is so placed in the sentence that it cannot be construed with what. The word vanity means often an idol, and it is so considered here by the Targum, by Piscator, Grotius, Gattaker, and others. It is often found in the plural vanities, as it is here in the Septuagint, See Deuteronomy 32.21, 1 Kings 16.26, Psalms 31.6. But it is here the poetical singular. They became vain, that is, foolish, sottish, having no more sense or reason than their idols, as idolaters are represented in Psalms. Their senselessness is set forth in the next verse. An idol is especially called vanity because it can do no good and avails nothing. Deluded imagination alone gives it all its efficacy and power. Samuel gives a true account of idols, 1 Samuel 12:21. But as long as the devil deceives and deludes the world, idols and images will be in repute, though they are in themselves wholly useless and worthless, while yet they prove ruinous to the souls of men. Editor End footnote. I wish I could proceed further, but I have some business to which I was called even before the lecture. Prayer. Grant, Almighty God, that as Thou continuest at this day, both morning and evening, to invite us to Thyself, and assiduously exhortest us to repent, and testifiest that Thou art ready to be reconciled to us, provided we flee to Thy mercy, O grant that we may not close our ears and reject this, thy great kindness, but that remembering thy gratuitous election, the chief of all the favors thou hast been pleased to show us, we may strive so to devote ourselves to thee, that thy name may be glorified through our whole life, and should it be that we at any time turn aside from thee, may we quickly return to the right way and become submissive to thy holy admonitions 
that it may thus appear that we have been chosen, so chosen by thee, and called as to desire to continue in the hope of that salvation to which thou invitest us, and which is prepared for us in heaven, through Christ our Lord. Amen. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival's Books. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more at great discounts, are on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, T6L3T5. If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog. If you do have a web connection and would like to be added to our email list, please send an email to add at swrb.com or swrb at swrb.com with the word add in the subject line. SWRB's email list is a double opt-in list, so once you've sent us your email address, you will be asked by email to confirm that you want to join our list using the email address you have supplied. Your email information will be kept confidential, and you can easily remove yourself from our email list by simply emailing us at swrb at swrb.com with the word remove in the subject line. Once you are on our email list, you will be alerted to all the new free Reformation resources, free MP3s, free electronic books and text, etc. SWRB makes available on the web as well as at times to our best discounts and super specials. We also encourage you to reproduce this audio resource and to pass it on to your friends, but we only authorize this as long as the full contents of the message, including the header and trailer, is not altered in any way and as long as the audio file or cassette is given away for free. Thank you again for listening to this SWRB reading, and remember that Isaiah 26.3 states, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. And 2 Corinthians 13.11 concludes, Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect, be of, com- of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you.